Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of Paratalk and on this episode I have brought back the one and only Ben Edmund Jones because well I haven't done an episode on UFOs for a while and if you go on to uh well X or Twitter or whatever whatever it's called now I don't know but um everyone's going crazy everyone's going crazy about the UFO stuff everyone's you know the drones and all this stuff so I thought I need to get Ben back and uh, um pick his brains so without further ado hello Ben how are you? Hello, hello, Reeves. How are you, sir? Good to be back. I'm all right. How's uh, things going? It's been a while. Yeah, it, I'm fine, but mm. it's been a while. I, I, t- I told you that I would get you back. And um, mm. what, what have you been up to? Because, you know, it's been a while. Yeah, well, same same old thing, really. Um, it's the, th- the thing I always do, going around producing content, researching where I can, uh, commenting, writing, lots of writing, uh, making videos for YouTube, doing my own radio show which is a bit like yours, you know, I do my, my own little podcast mm-hmm. and radio shows, and um, enjoying this, enjoying the world as much as I can, as uh, as horrifying as it is, it's, yes. uh, at least it's not boring. Yeah, certainly not, there's certainly uh, uh, certainly plenty going on in the world at the moment to uh, may horrify you or make you want to uh, jump planet and uh, go live yeah, somewhere I mean- else. Honestly, the UFO scene, I've kind of, I'm still following the UFO scene, but it doesn't enthrall me at the moment the way it did before. It's, I've sort of, I find my interest waning slightly. And the reason is, the, I think the subject is stagnating a bit. I'm sure we'll go into more details about this. Uh, I felt, I feel that the last, just the last few months, it seems to have stagnated slightly. And um, the, the people within it are, are reacting. I think some of them are reacting with a lot of, uh, I would say, immaturity. And, um, that's what that's made me kind of lose interest a bit. It's it's. I know that if there's some kind of big breakthrough, my interest will come back. But at the moment, it's I, I can't I can't keep up with this the wall of mirrors that's going on at the moment on, on the online UFO scene. That's one of the reasons I wanted to get you back was because at the moment the whole UFO thing is kind of blown up, and uh, everyone is kind of at each other's throats. And at the moment, uh, if anyone any anyone listening, I'm sure that they're you know they kind of have seen it as well. Uh, UFO Twitter, as they call it, has kind of turned into a bit of a, a battleground, hasn't it? It's probably been on one way or another for quite for, for quite a while. Um, probably since 2017, when it sort of when it was first created, there's always been different factions. There's been um, the people who believe one thing about Lou Elizondo and the Tic Tac footage, and you know Ryan Graves and and David Fravor and the other pilots, and there's those who believe something else, and um, this, 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 the, these factions are split into sub factions, and um, there's been the there's the extreme cynics, the people I call backslappers, who have uh, become extremely cynical about everything and seem to take a kind of quite a delight in being cynical so they can lord it over other people who they see as naive and being duped by shills and things like that. And they've developed almost a kind of culture where they that's become a part of their identity and even in a strange way a part of their self esteem. And um, then there's other people who seem to think, for example, that, uh, you know, Lou Elizondo's he's got to be like working for the CIA and there, there are real UFOs out there. But everything that's happened since 2017 has just been a deeper part of the conspiracy. It's, it's just been another another twist in this endless truth embargo that there's, there seems to be no way out of. And these people never even suggest any way we can get out of it. Um, and then there's the people like me who I think have a more open-minded approach. Again, we, we get criticized very harshly and unfairly by the other factions so i'm now 
I haven't really posted much on UFO with UFO. I'm always add the tag when I have a UFO subject article. I've literally just put one up actually, an article about uh, some very strange thing in York, which maybe we can talk about later. But um, there's a couple of people I still follow because I think they are sensible. One of them is Ross. There's Ross Coulthard, for example. Um, there's Bryce Sable, his co-host on there. They do their little podcast on YouTube. Um, and uh, you, there's uh, that UFO podcast. Andy McGrillan, and he, I think he's cool. I like Andy McGrillan. He's positive and things like that. He has a positive attitude. And there's um, people like Christina Gomez and um, the UFO Rabbit Hole and people like that. I, I, I like them. And I, I, I quite like uh, Ryan Robbins as well, the uh, UFO Jesus. I think he's... I think he, he's, he doesn't... A lot of what he says doesn't make much sense to me. He seems to be very poetic and abstract. But I think he's a likable person. He doesn't, he doesn't get involved in the, in the bitching. And so I follow him. All the others are just, you know, there's these people, I won't name them, but there's some really quite, um, really quite nasty, but almost bully-like characters on there I get fed up with. Well, I was going to say, has your um, thoughts toward the UFO phenomenon, has it, has it changed in the last few years? You seem to become sort of more distant from it. Yeah, I haven't changed my opinion on the um, factual nature of the phenomenon at all. I've, I've, what's made me lose interest, and it's only really been the last few months I've really seriously lost interest, has been a, a, a stagnation, a stagnation in the process that uh, we has been going on to one extent or another since December 2017. It came to a head last year, of course, with when David Grush came out, who I consider Man of the Year 2023, and uh, things like the there was those balloon things or those pseudo balloons or qu quite balloons or I can't believe it's not balloons <laughs> in February. That was a year ago. I can't believe yeah, it's a whole year ago. That's crazy. And then there was um then there was of course David Grush and things like that. And it seemed so exciting. But then then we had the Schumer Amendment, which was then this that has been essentially completely and utterly hobbled by um by the two mics and as they're known in Congress. Mm -hmm. The uh the two congressmen who um whose campaigns were funded by Lockheed Martin. And so it appears there's a massive backlash. Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick has recently quit Arrow. And um, when he quit, he, he said something. He said, first of all, he said there's no evidence there's any there's, there's no evidence of any ET anywhere, any any ET presence anywhere. He also, according to others, he lied and said that um, Christopher Mellon and David Grush never contacted him. And now... I know, I mean, David Grush never posts on social media. He's wise enough to keep his head down. But Mellon is is really indignant about it. He actually said, you know, I was astonished by this claim. He says, uh, he, he said that none of the uh, conspiracy-minded whistleblowers ever elected to come to Arrow. And he says, he says, I offered to assist in his investigation. I introduced him to Elizondo and Dr. Eric Davis, Hal Putoff. These are people, and these are the people from the TTSA to the Stars Academy. And, there was, and um, he said that he spent hours briefing Dr. Kirkpatrick himself. And then, he, and then Kirkpatrick leaves Arrow saying that no one's ever contacted him to help him. And um, and so so Christopher Mellon, I know, is very angry about this. But it seems to me, I, I wouldn't be surprised. You see something similar now going on, which actually happened with Project Blue Book. And what uh, Mellon is saying is very similar to what uh, J. Allen Hynek said um, when we are talking like 60, 70 years ago. J. Allen Hynek was brought into Project Sign in 1947 to um, 
to help um, investigate UFOs. This became Project Grudge and eventually Project mm. Blue Book, which it remained for the next 20 years. He began as a skeptic. He was just brought in saying, well, I'll do this for a couple of months, take some, take a sabbatical from my teaching work and then get back to it. This would just be a bit, of a, be a bit of a laugh for a while, you know, something easy. It didn't take him long before he completely changed. He, I mean, what radicalized him was the, the fact that there were people involved in the program that essentially were brought in to investigate UFOs. That was their job, to investigate UFOs. And all they were doing, all they were doing, according to Hynek, was they were just shutting down investigations, writing half-baked reports, saying, oh, this is this is swamp gas, this is a weather balloon, you know, this is, uh, this is a, a... They didn't have Chinese lanterns in those days, but it was the usual excuses. Uh, it's nothing but that. And then he said that there's no... They were, they were releasing these reports without any evidence that that was the explanation. And he suddenly realized that this, the, the Project Blue Book is nothing more than a part of the cover-up. And he was involved in it. They brought him to try and they brought him in to try and um, to be like the voice, to be the scientist, the voice of reason, the guy who says, yes, yes, there's nothing to this UFO stuff. But Heineck refused. Heineck actually said, no, there is something to it. There is something to some of these cases. And I think we're in a similar situation now with Kirkpatrick being the gatekeeper. Yeah. And you have your, you have your, uh, your Hynex in the form of people like Mellon. But, and it's pretty obvious this is connected to the, you know, Chuck Schumer who brought in this amendment, which the, the, the wording of this amendment, you can't believe it almost. I mean, this is a piece of government bureaucracy and you expect the usual bump, you know, aforementioned, notwithstanding, blah, de, blah, de, blah. You know, you know it's, it's just reading these things like chewing cardboard. But then, then comes these words, you know, non-human intelligence, extraterrestrial spacecraft, things like that. These were in this piece of legislation these words and then the two mics and, and their associates you know they immediately went before congress and they started to demand that this was amended um as a result it was absolutely nightmare getting this through the senate and it's now um when it when it when it came into law in, in on boxing day it's it's really a it's a pale husk of its former self and i think this tells us some, some a lot of things reeves it tells us that and i think i don't think anyone can really pretend otherwise now there is nothing to see here. Move along. No one can pretend that now. Yeah, there is something because the uh, the, the government is against this, that is in favour of this truth embargo, is now taking apt, active steps to prevent the demolition of this truth embargo. Well, why? If there's nothing to hide, why are they so making such a fuss about it? Very very frustrating situation, and I and I, I hope that changes. I really hope it changes. I know my interest will in the subject will come back. If there was, uh, if this, if this situation changes, yeah, uh, I, I kind of think that with with corporations and people that have maybe got UFO technology, I think there is a lot of money involved, and a lot of uh, people are in people's pockets, and therefore, over the years since you know, since those those Project Blue Book days and stuff, I don't think much has changed because the people that are in the government that actually are pulling the strings are still the same people or they're still connected to groups of people that are able to pull the right strings to restrain people from uh, giving too much information away and it kind of it kind of moves me on a little bit because I was going to ask you uh, with all this with, with the UFO stuff that's been going on it, it, the political side of it we've seen a lot of uh, new uh evidence or content that has appeared with you know these kind of strange looking like the jellyfish drone and and other stuff what, what's your feelings on that yeah i mean jeremy corbell actually released this new footage of um 
of what he calls it's it's known as the jellyfish picture. There's this other thing called the chandelier, which I think is slightly more credible. The the jellyfish UFO was launched on the uh, the weaponized podcast, which was his the one he does with George Knapp. It shows a, a, a low a low altitude object um, in the in the sky above Iraq um, in was it 2013 I believe mm-hmm. this was, and um, it's just you can't really, because it's taken from I believe from a helicopter. It's hard to see what the motion is of this particular object. I have to say, to me, it looks like a bunch of balloons. And indeed, this was the, the day this was taken is actually something called Eid Mubarak. Now, in the uh, in the Middle East and across uh, the, the Muslim world, Eid Mubarak is a major festival where there is a lot of a lot of partying and celebration, and um, and this in, this includes things like balloons, but balloons being launched, and um, they often they often launched in big punches like that. Mm. Um, and it looks like one of those to me. I mean, I'd love to be proved wrong. I'd love to be proved wrong on that. I really would. But that's that's to me what it looks like. Do you think that these videos are put out there in, into the general public so that when you first see them, people think, oh, you know, look at that. That's com- completely bizarre. And then other people come along and break it down and go, no, no, it's not actually that. It's this. And so it kind of de- decredits the whole kind of UFO pushing forward and, uh, you know, uh, new stuff and, and things like that. Because when I look at that, the first thing I thought was, oh, it's it's like, it's bird poo on a camera lens. And just, yeah, that's, uh, that's, you know, could that's, be. <laughs> that's what it kind of looked like. But, you know, I wasn't there. I didn't film it. I, I don't know. But to me, as someone who's maybe a little bit more of a critical thinker because I'm, you know, I read about this stuff, but the average person in the street who doesn't, really sort of read about the stuff and just sees what they see you know it's easier to hoodwink them it's easier to sort of lead them on and then go oh no but actually it was this and then they kind of forget about it and go oh, it's all that it's all a lot of rubbish it's all the same do you feel that that's certainly the effect of this whether whatever its intention is that's the effect it's going to have um people will see that this this has been this has been promoted an awful lot in the media just like those ridiculous mummy things in mexico a few months ago uh, which are made from spare they're they're actually fake mummies made from spare parts yeah by, i remember uh, people those they call the caros who are grave robbers I've, I've spoken to the guy who's investigated this firsthand a guy called steve mera i've interviewed him twice about this um the, the effect is that is that people are going to see these they're going to be shown to be ridiculous and as you said it's going to it's going to distract people away from what i think is more a more healthy area of research and better evidence and indeed corbell has released better material than this before and i, I do wonder I mean, I don't question his motives the way the backslappers do. I mean, they, they've just got him down as a complete bounder, a total cad who's, who's just yeah. who's, who's good for nothing and his lies whenever he opens his mouth. I think he, I, I seem to sense that he's genuine, just like George Knapp is, but he doesn't seem to have much of a filter if he's going to release, if this does turn out to be balloons and he's published it amidst all this publicity. Is he, is he published it because he really thinks it's, it's aliens or has he published it because... He's, it's a bit of a slow couple of months, and admittedly, I'm not the only one feeling this uh, this sense of lethargy and fatigue. Is it just a slow? It's because it's a slow couple of months. He decided to release something he otherwise wouldn't release, just to keep his name in the uh, in the top of the feeds. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say that. Do you think that um, uh, you know, if you're someone out there in the public eye, and uh, you've got a a reasonably successful podcast, and you've got a very healthy listener base and you're releasing stuff you have uh contacts people in the know and they're giving you stuff uh and you you, you know you you're at that level where you're a known person now and you've maybe made a few films 
you you kind of it's kind of a little bit addictive that you want to stay in the public eye and you want to stay relevant uh yeah. so whatever you've got maybe i'm not saying but maybe you're you're looking at what you've got your deck of cards and you're thinking oh well it could be it might not be that or it might be but i'm going to put it out there anyway because it keeps me relevant it keeps me in the public eye do, do you feel there's a little bit of that there it's possible that is it that it's possible that's what it is yeah it's possible it is, it is that's exactly what's going on and i mean um if that's if that's the case then it's disappointing it's disappointing i mean i mean it's it could be that some people i mean people do fall into this temptation we've seen this certainly with mainstream celebrities i mean when milo yiannopoulos suddenly announced that he was straight i thought what and um and i thought to myself hang on a minute what's going on here and it struck me that he hadn't been in the news for a few months he hadn't no one had really been talking about him much and i don't think he likes it when people aren't talking about him and so he had to say something to to to, to attract interest again to become relevant again mm. and so he said this the most un, I mean, obviously he's not straight i mean he's he's, he's the, the the guy's as uh what's you know what as a three bob bit but um and he's he always has been but um he just has to kind of like keep people talking about him and i think in in some of the areas of ufology among the celebrities the rock stars of the ufo world which i'm quite glad i'm not one of them actually <laughs> um you get that same attitude sometimes, and, yeah. Um, which, but it's a shame because it's it, in the end it discredits you. Well, it yeah. You see it, what I mean? Yeah, it can come back and uh, have a very negative effect on you as a, a, a as a public personality because. Oh goodness knows. You're putting it out Sorry, there. Sorry, carry on. You know, you're 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 putting it out there, and uh, you know you've got to be, you've got to have quite a you know a serious filter. And if you if you put something out there, you're saying you're putting your name to that, and you're saying this. I believe this to be whatever, you know. But it, I've noticed a lot of stuff that's coming out at the moment is all very ambiguous. People are putting stuff out yes. there and going, "Well, you know, it could be this, it might not be that." But they're not giving you a straight answer. They're saying, "Well," and and I suppose in a way, yeah, I understand because uh, if I put a video out there of something in the sky that I'd filmed, I'm not going to turn around and go, "That's you know, that's that's Gary the alien." who has come to say hello, uh, I'm just going to say, I don't know what that is, but you make up your own mind, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I can understand if you're a little bit ambiguous, but sometimes putting stuff out there that, you know, that is just clearly just a balloon or whatever um, can can be a, can be neg have a negative impact on the whole, you know, the whole uh, UFO sphere as a thing. Nowhere is this more the case than paranormal research. I mean, you, you, I'm not going to name any names, either of TV programs or individuals, but so many people, they, they, they get into the subject and they, they're really, really interested in it and genuine. They start getting involved in the media. They start getting paid for what they do and they get paid a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And before you know it, they're on some TV show and they're, they're investigating and, they, they, and someone challenges them on something and they say, well, I know they did. They, they said we had to put a couple, you know, we had to deliver results. And if we didn't, we, well, we had to put a couple of fake things in there because the viewers need to see results. Yes. So, yeah, that bit, that is fake, that bit there. Sorry about that, but, you know, it was, the, the producer said it was necessary. And once once they, once you get into that, you, you, you are the little boy who cried wolf. And you, mm. you lose whatever, I think, credibility you had. It's interesting. I'm not going to make, obviously, you know, I don't mention names, but there is a show out there where, uh, that was uh, produced by a group of individuals and one individual went off and did their own thing and the other individuals uh, one in, in particular uh, didn't like it 
so he put the word out there to uh, certain uh, networks, uh, don't don't uh, take anything from this guy. Don't air his stuff. If you do, I'm, you can't have my stuff. And uh, because at the time this other individual was slightly more uh, established than, than the other individual, um, it, you know, the other person wasn't able to get his foot in the door. So it does happen. And it can, you can get taken away with the, uh, you know, the tsunami of, uh, of fame or, or popularity and stuff. Moving on a little bit, I was going to ask you, you know, about people just popping up out of nowhere. Um, a few months back, I had a slight, uh, well, a, sh- a conversation with um, an individual that I think you're, you know who he is, Ashton Forbes of yes. Um, yes, the, uh, the MH370 flight that vanished. When was it? 2018? I think it was 2018. It was 2014. 2014. Yeah, it was, we're coming up to the 10th anniversary in a couple of months, it, actually. It yeah. kind of just, it, you know, it, it disappeared. And, and he's done a lot of research into it. Now, uh, talking about videos that pop out of nowhere, a video popped up a while back. I think it was a few months ago, I think, uh, of the allegedly of the aircraft that was filmed by, was it a drone? I think it was a drone was, or a there was, satellite. There was two videos, one from a drone and one from a satellite. Yeah. And uh, it, they, they matched very well. They matched, though. And it and it and it filmed this aircraft. It, it was filmed in like a kind of infrared, wasn't it? Uh, like a heat. yeah. There, there's two separate um, types of thermal imagery. Yeah, yeah thermal. Was, yeah. And uh, it shows the aircraft um, circling around, and it shows these three objects, kind of uh, spheres, you know, circling around the object. And then after a while, there's a flash of light, and the, the aircraft's gone. What what what? What's your thoughts on all of that? This is extraordinary. I mean, I came across Ashton when when he started like putting stuff on on YouTube. And this is a plane. This is it was back in um, March of 2014. A, a Malaysian Airlines airliner got from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, on a routine overnight flight to Beijing, China. About a, about a 40, 40 odd minutes into the flight, the uh, the plane just vanished. I mean, it's literally the pilot, Captain Shah, he just literally signed off because it happened when the plane left the Malaysia air traffic control and moved over to Vietnamese air traffic control. You can hear the controller saying, uh, contact um, Ho Chi Minh 1200 decimal nine, which is just saying you're now under the control of the Vietnamese air control, air traffic control zone. And the captain says, uh, contacting Ho Chi Minh 120 decimal nine, good night. And you never hear another word from him. And a moment later, a few minutes later, he doesn't contact the Vietnamese control tower. And the plane, he just, all the transponders on the plane just switch off. And it goes dark off on the, on the, navig- on the navigation radar. And um, next thing you know, I mean, of course, there's a massive search to try and find the, the plane. And um, the, uh, the military is alerted. And there are several reports, some very garbled, mixed reports, that the plane had turned westwards and flown over the island of Sumatra and into the Indian Ocean. And once it was over the Indian Ocean, everyone lost touch with it. There's also Inmarsat, which is a British navigation satellite that is said to have kept in touch with the plane for the next six hours, which is basically until its fuel ran out. Therefore, the conclusion was the plane flew into the Indian Ocean and eventually just crashed in the sea when it ran out of fuel. Uh, there's been a big search. No floating debris has, was, was originally found. But then a couple of months later, um, some debris did a, a debris from a... Boeing 777, that kind of airliner, did wash up on Reunion Island in the Western Indian Ocean. And some more, some more has been washed up on West, on East, Southeast Africa, but this has not been formally identified as coming from MH370. Yeah, because it was, uh, uh, if I remember um, correctly, the 
the the alleged wreckage that washed up was was very um uh very clean considering it would have been in the water in salt water for so long it didn't have any corrosion on it or anything well, yeah, some people were saying it has it didn't have enough shellfish. Yeah. Um it was there was no sign of the, yeah, it seemed that it hadn't been there long enough. Um normally it'd be covered in seaweed and things and it wasn't. Things like everyone everyone had some sort of question about where it came from. Mm. Also the identity, there's an identity plate which is very firmly attached to every component of a modern airliner, telling you with all the information about the plane it comes from. This is in case it is found somewhere when a plane crashes, so it can be identified. This is essential for air accident investigation. Therefore the uh, the identification plate is attached very firmly with with rivets to the side of it. it's not just glued on it's attached with rivets to whatever it's whatever part of the plane it is now the the identification plate had been removed now the only mm-hmm. way it can only be the only way it can be removed is removed deliberately and the only time that's done normally is when the plane goes to the scrapyard mm-hmm. indicating that possibly this it's called a flapper on which is part of the plane's wing this flapper on had literally been taken off an old triple seven that had been left in the scrapyard and it might have been planted. I mean, some people claimed it was planted. There was actually a very good documentary on Netflix all about this. Yeah. And um, it was just quite open-minded for, for that mainstream channel. And um, Ashton has got on top of this. You see, I, I didn't really question, I didn't really ask many questions about this. I assumed that the plane had flown off to the Indian Ocean. And the reason no one could find it is the pilot may have controlled landing on the surface of the water and the plane then sank. This is what people suspect Amelia Earhart did. This is the uh, the round the world aviator. Yeah. In um, this was way back in the summer of 1937. She um, tried to fly all the way around the world, but disappeared on, on in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And they no wreckage has ever been found of the plane. Nothing floating. So people believe that the plane actually she when she ran out of fuel, carried out a controlled landing and couldn't get couldn't get out the plane into the life raft or whatever before the plane sank. Um, interestingly, that people some people think they found that plane on the seabed. I just found out. Um, but. Um, it's possible that happened, and I didn't question this. I didn't question this until I watched until I watched the the MH370 documentary on Netflix, and I started watching Ashton because Ashton is convinced that these these videos he's found are real, and he brings he brings some intriguing evidence to bear. And now, unfortunately, he he can't prove his case, and indeed, no one can in this day and age. In this day and age, anything can be faked visually. Yeah. Visual yeah. evidence does not carry the same weight it used to because if you if you know what you do, if someone is very meticulous and they don't make any mistakes, they can produce an image which is realistic and indistinguishable from a real video. Hoaxes like this are everywhere. They're all over YouTube. They're all over Instagram. There's uh, both there's images, both still and cine, of, of Bigfoot, of, of Loch Ness Monster, UFOs, ghosts everywhere. And, and they, they, we have a terrible signal-to-noise ratio problem. And a lot of people, Ashton has, 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 brought, has got a lot of critics. A lot of people have come up and said he's talking complete nonsense. However, um, he has stood his ground. He's, 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 fought, he's fought his corner. And he's made quite a few enemies. But um, he's, uh, he's, I find his, what he says fascinating. I find him fascinating. You know, to, to describe Reese, we should describe it. What, what he shows is it shows a 777 airliner flying along. And then these these like orbs orb UFOs suddenly appear, and three of them start circling around the plane, um, sort of laterally, you know, in on a um, on a vertical axis, just sh- circling around the plane, and then the plane just there's this big flash of light, and the plane vanishes, and the orbs orbs plane everything just vanishes. Now the other conspiracy is that um, there were people of interest on that aircraft who had technology 
that other people wanted? There were several passengers, actually, who were, I think, persons of interest. There was a large, there was about 20 people from Freescale Semiconductors. This is the company you mentioned. This is a company based in China, which um, creates, as, as the name suggests, semiconductor technology, which is very important for electronics. And um, they have a lot of customers in the defense industry and in the intelligence services. So they were part of the military industrial complex. There was, there were also two uh, men on there. There were also two uh, guys on there. There were two Iranian passengers who had fake Dutch passports. Mm. Uh, those, this was only found out afterwards when the, when their passport records were analysed. Uh, there were also uh, there was a couple of Russian people. There was there were there was two Russian men with connections to the FSB, the Russian Foreign Intelligence. Um, outfit now. Jeff Wise, the researcher, I think has picked that up and run with it a bit. He's come up with this scenario that basically the Russians hid hijack the plane and things like that. Um, he's he's not produced any solid evidence for that, but he has like a, a hypothetical scenario, which um, he's been sort of sharing around. I'm going to go out on a limb here because this is um, a theory that I've read, and uh, I I think it's stretching it a little bit, but um, I just want to bring it up. Do you think that uh, if we go back to uh, the, the Philadelphia experiment, uh, when they allegedly made a ship vanish and it teleported to a different place and a different time. Do you think that maybe, maybe there could be technology out there that's, uh, you know, all these years later is now in use and that's maybe what was used? Um, yeah, I found the Philadelphia experiment a bit incredulous, to be honest. Um it, it came from there. Several people, in, um, a guy called Al Bielek, for example, a yeah. guy who, um, Hose, what's his name? Hose, he, he had several names. Um, he, a lot of it came from him. A lot of it came from another guy called Al Bielek. They came up with fanciful ideas about going through a portal to the Montauk um, laboratories, you know, 40 years in the future and things like this, um, which, which you can't really do because then you, you end up with causality paradoxes and things like that. Um, also, what's more, the ship, uh, the ship USS Eldridge, was actually it never suffered any real damage, and um, it was actually sold to the Greek Navy, and it was in service until the 1990s, I believe, and um, it was renamed, it was put a new flag on it, and it ne there were never any um, reports of anything strange going on there during that time. Um, however, the idea that there are um, there are, for example, attempts to make ships invisible to radar. Or, um, or invisible to magnetic anomaly detection is very real. In fact, uh, warships are they go through a process called degaussing, which is where electric currents are put through the hull um, in order to try and reduce the magnetic signature of the steel of the iron in the steel hull. Um, that's quite routine practice. There are also ships such as the uh, Zumwalt class destroyers from the U.S. Navy. Um, that are specifically designed to have a very low radar signature to make them um, less easy to detect by radar. And you may have seen them. They have a, like a pyramidal, they have a very a strange look. They have almost pyramidal look to them. They don't look like normal ships. Um, and things. They, they only built, I think, two of these ships because they're very expensive and they're also quite unstable at sea. I don't, I don't, see, I don't think it's, it's a design that's going to catch on. But... Um, those, those are examples we're talking about, and indeed, of course, we know about the stealth aircraft. We know about that they're covered with there's things like radar absorbent material, things like that. So that technology does exist. Now, what what Ashton is claiming is he he believes that basically this is a deep state operation. To, to the, the plane was disappeared. The way he believes it was teleported or 
to where? Where do you think? Yeah. Where, where do you think it went? Well, he claims he claims it went to Diego Garcia. Now there is a, there is a military base on Diego Garcia, which is an island about an island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Um, I, I think it's possible at least that it's not human. It's not human technology. He he does he disputes this, but I think it's possible it's not human technology that did this. But there's no way of knowing. I mean, there's no way of being certain about what what exactly caused. It. I mean, if, if this video is genuine and there really were these orbs circling the plane, which then big flash of light and everything just vanishes. Where's the plane now? Where are the people? Where are the people? If you're a pilot, okay, and you're flying a, an aircraft, and this happens, so at the moment you're in one place, and the next minute you're in another place in the sky, unless the pilot's in on it and knows what's going on and, and is prepared, surely that would affect all the instrumentation. He would literally be flying blind because surely the, whatever energy would affect all of the you know the instruments on board. I'm thinking. Maybe, you know, if there was an outside influence, maybe those on board, maybe were part of part of it. It's it's hard to know. It's hard to say how many how many passengers were involved. I mean, I've, I've seen interviews with some of the um, the relatives of the of the passengers and crew, and it's pretty clear that not all of them could be. I and mean, some of them are extremely angry. And there's been some class action lawsuits against Malaysian Airlines. Uh, this uh, there's people people were interviewed in this documentary who say that the the basically the government knows all about it and they're not telling them. At one point there was even a riot um, outside the Malaysian embassy in in Beijing. It takes a lot to make the Chinese riot because the Chinese government is actually brutal when it comes to controlling riots. We've seen the Tiananmen Square massacre, for example. Um, so. Um, Obviously, not everyone was. The pilot himself, I mean, there's been a lot. He's one of the prime suspects, of course, and his life has been hoaxed and prodded by investigative journalists, by the police. Um, they've taken files from his computer, claiming he had a, a flight simulator file, which reveals everything. It doesn't, actually. It's it's not. They said things like, oh, well, he, he's, he had a bad marriage. He was knocking off one of the stewardesses. It sounds like a soap opera. There's no, I don't think there's a final answer to this. But I have, I am reconsidering my position. I mean, I don't, I do think there's some something strange happening here. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's been put out there. Uh, people, everyone's mm. got an opinion on what it might be or what might be happening. Some people say that the, the the videos that have been put out are fake and that they've been they've been created for, you know, just to uh, kind of as a sham. Uh, other people like Ashton have looked into it and dug up. A lot of interesting facts, which do make you think that there's something more going on. We do know that, you know, governments around the world don't tell you everything. And if you believe everything that the government's telling you, then, you know, you need to have a word with yourself. God, yes, definitely. So when it comes to this, I'm always very sceptical of, of somebody in a position of authority saying, oh, it, you need to believe that. No, just sorry. You got, need to go to lots of different places to get an idea and come up with an opinion what no matter what it might be so i'm just gonna i'm coming to the end of this episode now but i just wanted to ask you if you could sort of look ahead maybe in another two to three years do you think that the ufo uh disclosure movement whatever you want to call it do you think it would have moved on at all from where we are at the moment well, based on the based on the pattern that I've observed since 2017, I have to say yes, it it will do. I mean, we've been through periods of stagnation before. We've been through these lulls and these doldrums before, and they have picked up. 
Um, and it's, it's almost, it almost feels like a pattern, actually. I don't know if that's deliberate or not. It's, we're seeing something theatric. I don't know. I mean, because I've, I've actually literally just been emailing a friend of mine who says he, he's told me that he knows somebody who's in, on the inside of a lot of this research, and he says something big is about to go down. Now, we've heard this before. We've heard this before several times. But I think it has to. I, I don't believe that these the forces that have been unleashed can be can be simply be nullified, completely nullified. I think that the you know the, the genie's out of the bottle and you can't get it back in. So it's got to have some kind of effect. I mean, it's it's as sure as up is down. As sure as up, something goes from up to down. There are forces within um, within things like this, within these human dynamics and within this um, political dynamics. You find there are similar forces, forces which are irresistible, and I think we are seeing them in place. Which means something is something has to happen. Um, we found that you know, the tr you know the truth will out. It has an uncanny ability of, of maintaining itself and coming out. I mean, to give you an example, I mean, we've just had um, a story just just been released of uh, of all places, a, uh, a primary school in York has has had a, a fake alien invasion. They've just staged an alien invasion. It's very elaborate. It involved the police. It involved the National Health Service, um, and and things like that. Um, and it's obviously they they want they say it's for is to, to to encourage the children to be involved in creative writing, drama and storytelling and things like that. Why could it not be just like a a general disaster? Why did it have to be an alien invasion? Yeah. Oh well, that, this is this is the curious thing. This is what we're so curious about it. I mean, I can understand creative writing. You know, you want to have something that's completely, you know to them imaginary or whatever to get your creative juices flowing but i don't know i just it, it once again when you have something like that it's you, you immediately you're taking it to the level of having a news report and playing the x-files uh, theme tune you know where it becomes a bit of a comedy the, the, this giggle factor hasn't completely gone away but i think it's it's far far less um it's it's far far less obvious than it used to be i mean i think i don't think you get like the same the same attitude. I think the in the general say in, in the general in general culture, the status and position of the UFO phenomenon, its its place within society has changed. And my dad my dad asked me questions about UFOs. And that really was the the moment when I knew everything. <laughs> Nothing could ever be the same again. When my dad comes to me, he's such a normie. I actually gave up talking to him about this about twenty years ago, and he volunteers information to me and says, "What's all this about?" I've been reading the news about UFOs, and I thought, for him to have come across that information, um, it must have reached a profile like never before in the mainstream. Hmm. It's a bit weird sometimes. Yeah, you get a few people. I've got a few friends that uh, they 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 say, "Oh, have you seen that in the news? What what do you think on that?" And I'm thinking to myself. For me, it's like just normal. It's, I read something and yeah, okay, and I understand it. But for someone who has got no interest in it and they start asking you questions, you're like, wow, you know, it's like, why, where did that come from? So it's obviously, it is impacting the greater, you know, the, the, the greater sphere of the general public. But I'm, me, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just over pessimistic, but I just think that it's, a lot of people are just looking at it as like, well, whatever. This I got to pay the electric. I got to buy little little Bobby some some you know some marmite or whatever. I'm not interested. You know they that will happen anyway. Yeah, and there'll be um, the majority of people that will be the case anyway, no matter what happens. Yeah. So I think, the, uh, I think that's something I've learned. 
it is a bit, you know, uh, I don't think we're going to have, uh, Utopia is not around the corner. I don't think when No, I mean I don't I'm not sure utopia is even possible or maybe even desirable on a philosophical level. I mean I think if I was writing Roswell Rising my novel if I was writing that today I'd write it slightly differently. Um I wouldn't because in the book when the, when disclosure happens in the in the story um everybody freaks out there's a massive freak out in almost most parts of the world. I don't think that would happen actually. I think most people would just sh- shrug. Yeah. Um there's probably a minority would freak out and a minority like myself would be delighted. Um, well, I think that, uh, to be honest with you, um, I'm, I'm not being biased or anything, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm generalising a little bit. From my perspective, I think most people who get up every day and go to work and just do their thing and come home and have their dinner and watch a bit of TV, they'll be like, oh, wow, yeah, they're, oh, they're alien, yeah. And then that'll be it. But I think the people that it's going to, w- would affect the most are people who are like either deeply religious or have a very solid belief structure about how the world is or should be or, you know, that kind of thing. And I think it would impact them a little bit more. And whether they all look at it as angels or, or you know, messengers from God or what, I think that those people will be affected more and it will have more of an impact on their life because of the way that their mindset is structured. The, you know, average, you know, Jeffrey that goes to work and, works in a factory and just drinks with his mates who doesn't plays the xbox at weekends or whatever he'd be like oh yeah whatever i'm gonna watch this film now so uh, i think you know do you know what i mean yeah absolutely i think there's i mean some skeptics i think might go into retirement rather than apologize but uh, um yeah i mean generally i think I mean, no one can predict exactly what happened i mean my attempt my my the reason i wrote roswell rising was an attempt to predict the uh, the society was societal changes that would happen in the event of UFO disclosure, and uh, I did as good a job as I could, I think, with the information I had at the time. But um, I I think the last few years has revealed a different story. I think um, we, I, I would write it differently. I'm writing a new I'm writing a new story now, which is actually I'm publishing it as a serial actually on my website, um, and I am writing it slightly differently. Even though it has the same sort of theme, you know, a slightly different theme. Before we wrap up this episode, um, what what is it about? Uh, it's called the Obscurity Chronicles, and it's in chapters one to seven are available on Ben's bookcase, which is on my website. That's Hapanwo, Hapanwo hyphen Hapanwo dot blogspot dot com. Yeah, and, I'll, um, I'll have to put a link in the uh, with this podcast so people can oh, go yeah, and have a gander. Do. I mean, the best, the best. The best link is probably just the Hapanwo Voice because that's my news site, that's my news blog, which I update the most often. Okay, and um, and that's that's the one. I'll just I'll send it to you. So I think we're going to wrap up now because we've had a we've had a good old catch up and a good old natter about things. But I would just want to say, uh, you know, that the summer's coming. Hopefully, in a few more months, it's going to be nice warm weather again. And mm. in the summertime, you're normally out and about doing like uh, little talks and stuff. You know, what's your plans for the coming months? Well, in some in August, no, was it yeah August? I'm I'm going to Dorset because I'm speaking at the Dorset Earth Mysteries Group, and I'm also speaking at um, another location in that area around the same time. So I'm going to be going on tour, um, and um, I'm hopefully speaking much sooner. Actually, maybe in in, in maybe a month after next or next month, I may be speaking at the Maplethorpe Group, um, which is in Lincolnshire, and. Um, I'm currently talking to several other people about speaking in other locations, and I'll speak anywhere anyone wants me to. I can speak on a variety of subjects, and um, I don't charge for my time. I mean, if 
I ask people if it's possible they can pay for my uh, my transport and maybe give me somewhere to stay, which uh, could be something. It could be someone's sofa. I don't really care. But apart from that, I don't charge any money. Um, I can cut. I can cover all kinds of subjects. And I, I love doing live talks. I love meeting people and things like that. It's always great fun going on tour. I do enjoy it. And these to be recorded and put on your YouTube. Um. Yes, I always record them. Um. It's nothing like seeing it live, though. You know. It's an event, isn't it? You go out, you meet other people. Yeah. It's all about networking, isn't it? I hope this year, last year was a bit difficult, but I hope this year I'll be able to get out and do a, a few ghost hunts, a few vigils, maybe do some, oh, cool. uh, you know, some video for the for the YouTube channel, the Power Talk video, uh, you know, little episodes. So I've got some ideas, but it's it's all about time, and you know, you got a job and you work, and you got to juggle things around. But you know, uh, if we get some nice weather, who knows what might happen? Who knows what the future holds? I don't know. Anyway, Ben, thanks for joining me on this episode and giving me a little bit of an update. You'll be back anyway in a few months. So because of the oh, UFO yeah, stuff, geez. I'll be getting you back because, uh, you know, I need someone who, who can make sense of all this kind of craziness. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I do my best, yeah. I'll, I'll include any links to your stuff in the, in the podcast so people can go along and have a read and stuff like that. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Um, and Give it a like or a share or or whatnot, uh, wherever, you know, you might be downloading this episode from. It really does help if you give a little bit of feedback or a, or a thumbs up or whatever. But until the next uh, episode, take care and talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.